Hey everybody, hope uh, folks had a good summer. I know this has kind of been a long super break for me on this podcast, so I appreciate everybody hanging in there, and, and I also want to give a shout out to the folks that have encouraged me to continue to do this. I know uh, it's been a while, but uh, let's kind of get back into this and talk about uh, today what, uh, a single topic for us to um, for you to hear and, and for me to kind of discuss and talk about something that's been out there uh, that I've seen lately, and so I wanted to kind of kind of talk about a little bit. You know, the larger concept I think that we that it probably falls under is what we would call healthcare literacy and patients uh, understanding how healthcare how the healthcare system works, how health insurance works, and really what kind of got this discussion going for me uh, with a couple of different people out in social media had to revolve around. Um, the opioid crisis and how it intersected with Medicare. And the discussion that I had with several different people um, is that a lot of times you want to see people conflate the opioid crisis with the Medicaid expansion. And, And since Medicaid expansion itself was part of the ACA or Obamacare, that gets really political really fast. So I don't think I'm necessarily going to spend too much time talking about that. Um, you know, but I think a lot of the, if you think about it and, and I'll, and I'll frame it this way, Medicaid expansion and how it was implemented was really just an amplifier. So what, what that means is that you get more people participating in a system that already exists. And if you do that and you don't necessarily address issues that you have with the existing program, then what you end up with is an exacerbation of those issues. And that kind of goes back to what I was talking about is the overall concept here, which is healthcare literacy. So Medicaid obviously has a lot of benefits. There's a lot of people that uh, get healthcare um, through Medicaid that they would not be able to afford, which touches on Uh, The myth, and I'll probably talk about this in another podcast, that there's a myth out there between healthcare coverage and and getting healthcare itself. So I'm going to stop right there. But basically, there are people that get healthcare today that couldn't afford it and therefore wouldn't get healthcare if they didn't have Medicaid. The issue is, is that Medicaid is a payer. And what you see within Medicaid is also a trend probably that's to some extent with private pay insurance. There is no, there is no system out there that teaches somebody how to use insurance and how to get the best health care um, just because you have an insurance policy and some way to pay for it. And so, you know, kind of the biggest example of this that, that I think you'll see is there was a study done uh, in either Washington or Oregon, I really think it's Washington, where uh, when Medicaid expanded, ED, you know, the, the thought was people go to the ED when they don't have insurance because uh, they, they know that they won't be turned away there and because they're self-pay, they're not going to be able to afford it. And they'll just go through, have this collections on them, on their credit report. And if they, you know, are self-pay, don't have a job, their credit's already bad anyway, so it really doesn't matter. So it's, 
it's a it's a no way to lose for somebody to go get health care uh, directly from the ED, and that's really their only place when you don't have uh, any way to pay for it. So the thought process is, is if somebody gets Medicaid instead of not having insurance, then they'll go to a doctor's office and get general care, you know, non-emergent care. And what actually what you saw in Washington is when Medicare Medicaid expanded, is you actually saw ED volumes go up, which is not surprising in my mind because it illustrates the point that I'm trying to make is that when people feel like it'll be paid for and they're not going to get, uh, they can go and get health care, they don't have a doctor. They don't have, they don't know about how urgent care works. They know when they get sick, they go to the ED. Now they have this Medicaid card that they can show and maybe they get less dirty looks when they go to the ED. So it's not as a, much of a stigma. So before when they at least felt like, oh, do I really feel bad enough to deal with the hassle of, of, you know, no, I don't have any insurance. I don't have any self, you know, I don't, I'm self-pay, all that kind of stuff. So with Medicaid, it's just uh, a little bit more streamlined. So actually they went more, probably for even more non-emergent cases, um, to, to get healthcare. And so there's no education for these folks on, you know, how to get a regular doctor, how to get a, um, how to navigate the healthcare system the way that you should. So that really go, is back to the whole healthcare literacy standpoint, which is, you know, a very deep topic that I'm, I'm not going to cover completely. But I mean, you know, everybody deals with their own level of not knowing how healthcare works. If you've not, uh, if you've not been very diligent about it. I mean, if you think about it, Really, people that only really the only people outside of the healthcare industry that dig in and understand a lot about how things work are people that have chronic illness, and those are people that are already spending a lot of time and effort and and resources going through healthcare, and they really understand you know how all of that works. But there's no mechanism, you know, in in the high, high school health class, uh, there is no uh, there there is no way that we t- talk about you know the importance of having a doctor, getting the well checkups, um, you know how the you know now under ACA there's no copay for that you can go once a year and handle it, you know and and then further what we don't explain and what even healthcare providers don't do a good job of explaining is if you go to your doctor for a yearly well checkup that should be no copay no cost to you under your health care plan and let's just say you're just a patient and you you talk about um uh i don't know you just have some condition something something's going on they say well you know what else is going on with you and they say well you know i've i've I went and, and, you know, had my blood pressure taken, you know, a couple months ago at this health fair and it was a little high and all of a sudden you start talking about some condition, right then you move from your well health checkup to talking about a chronic condition that you get diagnosed for and then they're doing tests and they're scheduling different things and all of a sudden now you have a copay and you have to meet your deductible for all these things. So... One, there's not a lot of education. People don't understand when they're going to cross the line into something that's outside of what they thought they were going to the doctor for. And then two, 
there is, and I don't want to necessarily say disingenuous, but there's certainly a, um, an ignorance of how the billing operates, even within the physician practice side. I mean, it's it's you know, <clears throat> it's something that I think is is probably a, a literacy issue on even the providers that they don't understand well enough uh, about how they get reimbursed to know when you know to advise patients. All right, if we continue to talk about this, this is going to be you know another kind of visit. It's not necessarily you know you could incur a charge. You know, we can look and see what it's going to cost. But, oh, by the way, you got to do it within this 10 minutes that I've allocated for your visit. So it's it's definitely, um, it's going to be a, a paradigm shift. And I think that, you know, you know, you get into another topic of how reimbursement should look, you know, should look like and how is um, pay for pay for value, fee for value, rather, going to change instead of fee-for-service, because this is exactly what we're talking about, is what kind of service are you expecting and what kind of service are you getting? And you don't know what the doctor's office staff is going to bill until after your days out of the office. So, I mean, that, you know, it's one thing, you know, one of the things that, that deals with healthcare literacy that patients can't do and and one thing that makes it harder is the lack of transparency on the billing and reimbursement side, which is totally another topic. And, and I have a podcast about the charge master and kind of talks a little bit about that. Uh, so you can go look at the previous episode, episodes and see where I talk about this. But, you know, really to bring it back to the literacy side and the Medicare, Medicaid discussion that I had goes back to the opioids one more time. So when you have somebody that goes to the doctor and the doctor's there for 10 minutes, he prescribes an opioid-based painkiller, you know, it's, it's, <clears throat> it is easy to say that, you know, in these unique circumstances, how is it the patient's fault? You know, it's easy to argue where it's not. How is it the doctor's fault? I think you can make an argument that it's not the physician's fault in the creation of the opioid crisis. However, I say that they're still the, the most educated and most knowledgeable person in the room. They're the ones that, <clears throat> at least at the beginning, are the uh, ultimate gatekeeper of those pharmaceuticals. And I don't understand why we're not holding these professionals to more account um, for the creation of this crisis. And ultimately, you know, the payer, Medicaid, really has some responsibility in this as well. And that's why I really couldn't get... Uh, some folks to understand within the discussion, a lot of it is that these are uh, people that want to circle the wagons on a program that they spend a lot of time, edu- you know, being educated in public health. They're super supportive of the system because they see the good it does. I certainly understand that. I agree that there's a lot of good that it does do. But ultimately, Medicaid and CMS as an organization has to stand up and take their uh, a level of accountability because they are the only ones in the entire ecosystem that can see these trends and these volumes, and and I really do believe they've been slow to react. It's not difficult to look at claims as they come in. It's not difficult to look at pharmacy claims as they come in and see that this individual under this plan 
or this this um, you know enrollment benefit whatever this called in Medicaid is is getting you know farther and farther down the path with opioids. Let's not even let's not even consider volumes at the minute. Let's you know because we don't want to say that a volume for somebody in cancer you know goes over this 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 point or somebody with back pain only gets this x number of pills but let's just say somebody's been on opioids for a year or two years and and you can easily trace that back and and see kind of what the path is and that they're the, getting the same 30-day prescription with the same number of pills you know, I would think at this, at some point, somebody at the payer level, and I think, you know, personally, this is kind of a a weakness with government, uh, government-run health plans because there's nobody within the plan that's ultimately responsible for the number of dollars that are spent. And is there even an adverse incentive to reimburse more dollars to make your program look effective and so, therefore, you don't necessarily classify something that doesn't doesn't fall within a classical definition of fraud or abuse. Then you know it's just a chronic, under the radar type uh, usage. Then where's your where's your where's your push to curtail it? Where's the uh, motivation to cure the patient to not be on painkillers? The motivation is certainly out there for the doctor to have them not come in every 30 days for a renewal. The motivation is not there for the government-run health plan that reports its productivity and its good by how many people it helps, by how many dollars it's you know injecting into the economy, or how many dollars it's spending to provide health care to somebody. You know that's basically how government program. Uh, productivity is is measured so you know and to be honest it doesn't take long for the patient isn't motivated anymore they have a prescription it takes care of the pain maybe mostly and you know as soon as they are legitimately an addict there's nobody in that ecosystem that's motivated to intercede into the problem and I think that's where, where we find ourselves today. And so when you talk about accountability and you talk about responsibility, then that's where it comes into. And then so back to the healthcare literacy part, in order for us to get to consumerism really moving this cost line on healthcare, you know, it takes somebody within the the the, the system of you know, provider, patient, and payer to be motivated to reduce cost. And so we're trying to unlock the patient as a driver in this to be the person that's going to that's gonna ultimately push the cost curve down because they're the one that's paying for it, at least in part. You know, the payer makes a little bit of money. The provider makes a little bit of money. Well, we got to look at who it costs. Well, it costs the patient. So if we give them the tools, the literacy to understand how it should work, to give them options to see if there's not a more economical but as just as effective way to take care of whatever condition they're looking at, then there we go. That's really what we're what we're trying to accomplish. But we can't we can't shoulder 
or put the responsibility on the shoulders of the patient if they don't have the tools with the consumerism, with the tri- price transparency, with the healthcare literacy uh, to do their job. So that's kind of really where the, the bottom line of this is. And it really started uh, this conversation with me and uh, the opioid crisis and the overlap with Medicaid. So I'd love to get your, your feedback on this. I think it's, you know, it's obviously a, a huge topic with, you know, some very specific ways that we can look at it. Um, and I do, um, you know, I understand that there's probably a lot of points of view on this, but I think what we have to do is, you know, really try to look at what are the problems we're trying to solve and, and be honest and not necessarily um, be um, trying to score political points or make a political win out, uh, you know, and, and then the ultimate reality is we have, you know, a nation of people that are, that are addicted and, and, and then further are dying. And so from that addiction. So there we go. That's the end of, um, end of this podcast. I appreciate everybody, uh, taking some time to listen to it. Uh, I've already got some ideas to kind of do some more. So you'll probably hear some more, uh, uh, this kind of style, uh, podcast out there, hopefully next, uh, you know, multiple times a week, but we'll just have to see. But uh, we'll we'll end it here and thanks y'all have a y'all have a great day.